Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to think particularly on the first words of verse 14, as many were astonished at thee. Of course, the word astonished being an old English form of the word astonished. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, now we pray that you will bless your word with the Spirit's power. We pray that thou will open our hearts we pray that thou wilt allow our minds to understand. We pray that thou wilt draw us out to thyself. We pray that thou wilt allow this time to be a time in which we are closed in with our God, a time of true communion. Lord, we pray for a meeting with our Savior. We pray for a ministry of your Spirit. And we pray that, O oh, Father, thou wilt be pleased to help us today. Lord, do a work for us that draws us and indeed lifts us to give truth and your revelation. Lord, it's uh, due understanding and respect in ways, respecting it as the very word of God to our souls. But, Father, we pray that thou will let it be that which is a feeding for us. May we not just be hearers, may we not be just understanders, as it were, but may we be partakers. And we pray that thou will bless them this time. For Jesus' sake we pray it. Amen. Behold my servant. The Lord begins this final call to the people of God at the end of Isaiah 52 by presenting his son as the servant. It is interesting that Isaiah earlier in his prophecy refers to the one who comes in the name of the Lord by other names. He is called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are certainly titles and names that we are very glad to think on. And truly, he warrants all of those titles. He is in all ways glorious. He's glorious in his act of creation. The scripture tells us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He is glorious. He is wonderful in that work, certainly. Further, we may say that his splendor is seen in the works of revelation, that God makes himself known to sinful men, to ignorant men, to willful men, to rebellious men. And God in mercy reveals himself and reveals his truth, reveals his law, and reveals his saving work. His redemptive heart and his receptive mercy shine as the sun. Beyond that, when we consider our Savior himself, when we behold the servant, and we with honesty look upon the Lord Jesus, we'd have to say, that in him there is no fault. In him there is no blemish. In Christ Jesus there is purity. In him there is holiness. In him there is the very image of God. His person is of a beauty that no creature can understand or fully grasp. Oh, the Beauty of Christ is not seen just in his outward form. In fact, Isaiah tells us there was no former comeliness about him that caused us to esteem him in just looking at him as perhaps he would come and approach to us in a physical form. But rather the beauty that is in Christ has to do with all that he is, all that his person is. All that we find him to be, how he acts among us, how he works among us, how he speaks to us, how he shows us the various aspects of his heart. And we would have to say of him as was said in the book of Song of Solomon about the beloved, he is altogether lovely. Christ Jesus is altogether lovely. In our reading, however, we see him described in a vastly different way. It is a description that mankind cannot really understand or fully grasp. As Christ accomplished the redemption of of his people, it says of him that he was so marred more than any man. Now, I would emphasize that that statement is no proof that there was ever a moment in which the Son of God was without his wondrous beauty of who he was. Here, though, his beauty shines forth as a successful bearer of his people's sin. His beauty is in that he was bruised. His loveliness is seen in that he was broken And not just to some extent, but to the fullest extent required by the law of God. That which would be required that we as his people would be free from our sin. We could ask ourselves, well, how broken would that be? How broken would the Son of God really be if he had to bear such We will seek to consider that in a moment. I will say this to those who know him as Savior, the sight of a crucified and broken Christ is not an ugly sight. 
It is to us a beautiful sight. For it is the sight of our salvation. Christ is gloriously beautiful in his agony as much as he is in his exaltation. He was astonishing in his suffering, yet he was also and is also astonishing in his success. But the statement is made that men were astonished at his appearance. This might mean that they saw him completely bearing the wrath of God. And such a sight took their breath away. It also might indicate that there was no understanding how one who has walked among them so innocently and so full of grace would be so severely injured. In fact, you might almost wonder as the soldiers were inflicting their pain, they would ask amongst themselves, is this what the Jews had called for? Is this really what they wanted when they cried, crucify him? And you hear the words of Pilate echoing, why, what what crime or what ill has he done? As we come to the table this morning, we must consider, we should consider, it is a blessing to us to consider our marred and broken Savior. We must remember that this was not just a description of an occurrence. But we must understand that what we read of today, this description of Jesus Christ in this time, was a purposed marring his visage so marred was that which was purposed before the foundation of the world you say really yes read first peter chapter one the lamb slain before the foundation of the world i want us to think upon this one who astonished those that saw him that day. And I want us to think on a couple of points. And may the Lord bless our consideration as we would prepare to come around the table to remember the broken one. First, I want you to think with this on me, or with me. It is astonishing that he should be brought so low. Perhaps that was part of the thinking of those that saw him. It is astonishing that he, now again, this is not just any man, that he, the one who raised the dead and cured the lame and the blind, that had victory over Satan time and time again, that he should be brought so low. Again, in this word that we have here today, we don't have just the response of those who were considering the Lord Jesus as the Son of God, as their Savior, as their Lord, their Master, that he was astonished, it was astonishing. But this also is true of those who were the mockers, those who 
were the criers for his destruction. They also were astonished. And I say, as the mockers viewed the Lord as he bore our iniquities, they were in fact themselves unbelievably astonished. To their minds may have come as they viewed what had happened to him, the question, is this truly a man? That's the essence of what we're reading here. That he was marred so more than any man ever was, then the question comes, is this truly a man that we're even looking at? His face and his form were indescribably marred. The soldiers had done an awful work, that is true. But the truth is that all fallen men, and this includes you and me before the Lord saves us, all fallen men seek to destroy the face of God. They will not have God to rule over them. They go so far as to say, there is no God. The fools say in their heart, there is no God. God is not in all their thoughts. And if they do have a thought of God, they, the thought is, no. I will not. And men, fallen men, think that if they are able to, as it were, destroy the face of God, that they think that doing so allows them to rule themselves. I will do what I want. Christ's body was broken. Understand that. And by broken, I don't mean that it was just rent here and there. It was a, his body was broken. It was not the form of a man, as it were, that walked to Golgotha's hill. His gait was severely altered. His shoulders drooped, as it were. His body spoke of incredible pain. As Christ Jesus progressed towards Calvary's hill, again, the thought would have to be, what are we seeing? Is this really a man that can stand up to this torture? Now consider this. Christ was born without sin. He was a perfectly holy man. He had a perfectly holy body. That holiness could not be hidden. All that the Lord Jesus was to the eyes of men was holy. He did not have the learned face of deception that men use to cover what really lies in them. The Lord Jesus was none of that. So here's the ultimate astonishment. Christ, who was so pure, so holy, was made so vile and loathsome in his appearance that men actually wondered what they were beholding. He was broken more than any man. More than any man. Well, you say, well, why does the scripture say more than any man? Well, because no other could bear the suffering that Christ endured. If any other man went through what Christ endured, 
he would not have endured. He would not have lived, as it were. Again, you may say, why? Well, because what you're seeing here in the breaking and bruising of Christ is not just man's torture, if you will, of Christ. But what you see descending upon him is infinite wrath. Infinite wrath descending upon sinful man would destroy him at once. But he was not sinful man. And so he endured the suffering. You can just imagine some of those that were standing there in the crowd as they saw the Savior pass by or as they saw him lifted up on Calvary's tree that they esteemed uh, the situation and looked on him and said within their own hearts, I'm glad it's not me. But still there lies the question, why was this so? Why was this so? Why was he so marred? There was nothing in his character to mar his countenance. And I will suggest to you even this, that even amid the torture, there was seeing the love of God toward guilty sinners. You say, really? Oh, yes. Can you not think of the man that was at his side there that said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom? Can you see the love of Christ even in the marred body of Christ? Can you not see the love of Christ as he looks out and he sees the disciple whom he loves and then he sees his loving earthly mother and says to John, Behold now thy mother. Can you not see the love of Christ? It's demonstrated at every hand. So why is there an astonishment? Well, that way, that the way of redemption is in the wounding and breaking of what is obviously pure before God must be. Man cannot understand that. Man cannot understand that redemption had to come by the bruising, the breaking, the marring of that which is pure and holy and good and lovely. Man cannot understand. It only surprises but men, when they look upon the scene of a crucified Christ, don't esteem it as a lovely sight. They esteem it as something that's revolting. And I think the natural response, the fallen response of natural man at seeing a crucified Christ is that, I don't want a bruised Savior. I don't want a bruised Savior. I want one that's pretty and wholesome. And, well, Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's how the world looks at a broken, bruised, and marred Savior. I say the wounding of Christ is against the corrupt nature of man. He cannot take it in. He was an astonishment to those that were not followers of Christ. Those that were the mockers. Those that were the scorners. Those bulls of Bashan, if you will, that gnashed on him with their teeth, as Psalm 22 suggests. 
He was a reproach. He was an astonishment. I want us to think second. It is astonishing that one so smitten could bear all the weight of our sin. Let me say it again. It's astonishing that one who is so marred, so beaten down, as it were, so afflicted, so bruised, one who had, as it were, the stripes that came from the lash of God Almighty, would be able to withstand and bear away the sins of those that were his people, and not just the sins of one of us, but the sins of all of us. And not just one of the sins of all of us, but all of the sins of all of us. Again, I want you to think with me again. What was it that caused his marring? Well, before we go to what is an obvious answer, one perhaps I've already even answered, let me reemphasize what I said a moment ago. The honest assessment of any who ever saw the broken Christ with eyes opened by the Holy Ghost, would only say of the Lord Jesus, not that he is a reproach, not that he is that to be rejected, but he is altogether lovely. When you see the crucified Christ and you see him as that which is the sacrifice for your sin, the answer for your plight of depravity, you'll look at him and say, he's altogether lovely. And I would say that's not just your assessment, because also I would say this, that in the sight of heaven, the lamb slain is not the sin of ugliness, but it's the, sin, the sight of glory. You say, how do you know that? Because Revelation chapter 5 tells me so. The sight of the lamb slain is the subject and the cause of the singing of thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand the Lord Jesus came to suffer. In fact, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples that this was the case. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, the prophets spoke of this as well. Acts 3 and verse 18 speaks of that. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. But again, what caused the marring of Christ? Again, I emphasize it was not the lash and the rod of man that changed him, not at all. The blows of man's worst weapons could not make the Lord Jesus to be seen as the carrier of sin that we read of here. And let me set this truth before us. Let me understand, have you understand with me this. There was no part of Christ that was callous or hard. In fact, I put it this way. I believe that the Lord Jesus when standing before men was very easy to strike. It was easy to strike him. 
But having said that, it was not the hand of man lifted up against the Savior that caused the marring. It was indeed the hand of God thrashing with the rod of divine justice. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. The crushing of Christ was not from the blows of man. The hand of God was against him. That was the greatest marring. Our sin had caused him to be a curse. But it was the separation from the Father that changed his visage. How could he bear sin being so broken? Well, let me say this. Here is a proof. Was Christ Jesus God? The answer is yes. Here's a proving point for only God could bear what Christ bore. He is not any man. He went to the depths of woe and broke woe into pieces. That is the work of God. How could he bear? Because he was God. Third, it is astonishing that he was so marred, yet he could love so deeply. That's astonishing. We referred to the heart of Christ for his people already. We noted the thief. We noted his mother. But I want you to remember this. The Lord Jesus carried us in his heart as agony was upon him. Did the Lord Jesus remember me that day along with the thief? Did the Lord Jesus remember you? Were you on his heart? Did he know all about it? Was his love set on you that day when there was the declaration, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise? You know, legally speaking, forensically speaking, before the justice bar of God, that was true of us at that moment. All of our sins were borne away. Now the righteousness of the Lord Jesus was imparted and imputed to us, though the actual Lives of his people had yet to be lived out, but still it was the truth. You and I were in the heart of our Savior as he bore our sins on Calvary. And I would say it this way as well, that love abounded on that face of agony. That's an astonishing thing. He, they looked at him, and yes, they see the, the gory sight but I think the thing that made it almost more amazing than that is, yes, how is this one who is so broken and marred, how does he still show such love? You can see it in him. It's astonishing. How can this be? Men could not understand what they saw. A natural man never will. It is a particularly, and I want you to hear this, it is a particularly powerful lie of the enemy to say that the Lord Jesus has ceased to love you. Do you ever know that lie to your heart? you ever heard the devil tell you that one? I don't think the Lord loves you. You know, if he loved you, what, wouldn't you see um, 
more radical differences in yourself? Wouldn't you see differences in your situation? Wouldn't you see this or that thing? Wouldn't you see instantaneous answers to prayer? Wouldn't you see, well, whatever the devil wants to cook up as a reason why he would try to convince you that the Lord doesn't love you. My question to you would be this. If the Lord Jesus loved you enough to go to Calvary to be broken for you, to bear away your sin, my question is, when did he stop loving you after that? Did he stop when he was in agony? No. Will he now? No. Well, of course, there are the obvious and powerful reasons that we can list as to why he would not love us. But my statement to you this morning is be astonished. Let your own heart be astonished. My Savior loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. Only question to you this morning as we gather around the Lord's table, can you stop and love him? That's what this moment's all about. That's why we come to this time. Well, my last thought is this. It is astonishing what was seen that day because his victory was so complete. One so broken, so bruised, gained complete victory. He was so wounded, but yet he wins salvation and life. Well, how can the broken save? Again, mankind will never understand a salvation that is only a work of Christ. Natural man cannot think of a salvation that doesn't include himself somehow. He cannot understand that salvation is accomplished in the breaking down, the beating, the rending of the Lord Jesus. This is the opposite of what he would think. Surely there needs to be some good works or involved or some priestcraft by man that's needed here. No. Hebrews 7.25 speaks of Christ. Exclusively. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I miss some of the old hymns. I don't know. We probably ought to sing more here. But that old hymn, We Have Heard the Joyful Sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. There's nothing that's mentioned in that hymn about you or me, is there, other than that we are the recipients of that salvation. This broken one, this bruised one, saves. How complete is the victory of Christ? Let me put it in this terms. These terms. The victory of Christ is so complete that it causes the Lord Jesus himself to rejoice. Christ rejoices in his triumph in the same measure that he groaned under the weight of sins. Verse 
How deeply bruised was Christ? Beyond description. How greatly now is the Lord Jesus rejoicing in the victory that he has accomplished for his people? The answer, beyond description. Um, Though I will say this. I am looking forward to the day when I am there with him that I can see that. Um, and I think everything in scripture says, says I'll be able to rejoice along with him. So I see him, I'm thrilled with his rejoicing and I'm rejoicing. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm talking about here. It's beyond anything I can ask or think. I hath not seen neither ear heard what God hath prepared for them that love him. The Lord Jesus is rejoicing now, rejoicing that you are safe and sound. Again, you're here today to remember what he did to make you safe and sound. Will you remember? Will you think? Well, may the Lord allow us the help of the Spirit of God that we may do as we ought with the time that we now have around the Lord's table. Amen.